0: Um, We're reading from Daniel chapter 6, which is on page 819 of the Black Pew Bibles. Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, stationed throughout the realm, and over them three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. The administrators and satraps, satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. But they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, We will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him,
1: May King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisers, and governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for thirty days, anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that as a law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed."
0: So King Darius signed the document. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upper room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed and gave thanks to God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. So they approached the king and asked about his
1: edict. Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days, any man who petitions any God or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den?
0: The king answered, As a law of the Medes and Persians, but order stands and is
1: irrevocable.
0: Then they replied to the king,
1: Daniel, one of the Judean exiles has ignored you, the king, and the edict you signed, for he prays three times a day.
0: As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. Then these men went to the king and said to him,
1: You as king... No, it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed.
0: So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke with the king.
1: May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. They haven't hurt me. For I was found innocent before him. Also, I have not committed a crime against you, my king.
0: The king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den, uninjured, for he trusted in his God. The king then gave the command, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den, they, their children, and their wives. They had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation and language who live in all the earth. May your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. For he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Welcome to Church by the Bridge and Daniel and the Lion's Then I'll end it there. Uh, I did think about doing the whole sermon with it on, but the boss would have said no. I love lions. I've loved Daniel and the Lion's Den when I was a little boy. It was the story that I wanted read to me again and again and again. Because they're they're terrifying, aren't they? I mean, this mask is terrifying, isn't it? But lions are terrifying. But as I've grown up, I've realised there are far more scarier things in this world than just lions. Before we meet the beasts, it's important to know that Daniel has experienced a leadership change. Now in Australia we're used to leadership changes, are we not? We're sort of you know uh, Rudd to Gillard to Rudd to A- Abbott to Turnbull. This sort of it just happens. You sort of wake up new prime minister, but nothing much changes, right? But for Daniel, everything's changed. Uh, the Babylon, Babylon, sorry, Babylon, the superpower has been taken over. Its days are numbered, just like every other superpower, and the Persians have come in. And they ruled the roost now. They brought their new kings, their new gods, their new way of doing things. Daniel has not moved, but everything around him has changed. It's like that Asian proverb, same, same, but different. That's where we're at. Uh, in all this change, Daniel 6, I love this, it begins with a minor miracle begins with a squeaky clean politician. In verse 5, we hear about Daniel. It says this, Daniel was trustworthy and no negligence or corruption was found in him. You might be wondering, was he a dual citizen? Very important question to ask. He was. The paperwork is in verse 13. He's one of the Judean exiles. See, remember, Daniel is not in Babylon on holidays. No, he's been plucked from his homeland, and forced to live in a foreign land. And as Daniel is about to get the uh, promotion of a lifetime, these satraps, these dodgy politicians around him are fuming. Maybe a mixture of racism, of hatred, of jealousy, but they want it to stop. And so what, verse 4, what do they do? They kept trying to find a charge against Daniel. So they did their research. They Googled, they did their security checks, they sniffed around to find any dirt on Daniel, and what did they find? Nothing. He's a man of integrity. Verse, uh, 1 Peter 2, he, he lives it out, which says, conduct yourselves honorably amongst the Gentiles. He's doing that. Brothers and sisters, those of us who are Christian, do, do you feel like you're being watched? Yeah, your workplace and your family, do you feel like you're being watched as a Christian? Uh, I remember when I was teaching uh, uh, high school, uh, teaching a high school in Blacktown. Uh, there was a, a kid who was, it was a naughty kid, right? And then I finally got him in trouble. We went to the deputy. Yeah, it was great. And I walked in the staff room with a big smile on my face, like yes. And then one of the teachers said, "Hang on, aren't you a Christian? Aren't you supposed to be all about forgiveness?" I was like, yes, but we're also on about justice as well. You know, I tried to get out of it, but you sort of feel like you're being watched. And there's something good about that, right? Because people are looking for authenticity. They're trying to work out, does your walk match your talk? But there are some people who are just bullies. Some people who hate Jesus, so they're going to hate you. And these guys surrounding Daniel, they go for the jugular. Verse 5, they say, We will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God the only way to get him they think is to go after his faith I'm going to invite Josh up now Uh, Josh is uh, one of uh, members of his congregation and uh, I'm going to find out what it's like for him to be a Christian in his workplace Uh, Josh is a policeman you've been working in the police force for about 12 years is that right Make sure it's turned on. Hello? Yeah, turned on. Beautiful. Um, Josh, come be closer. We'll be friends. Uh, I <laughs> want to ask you two questions, Josh. Uh, firstly, uh, what are the challenges that you find in being a Christian in your workplace?
3: Yeah, there's, uh, I guess, the general challenge yeah. uh, Christians face in all workplaces across Australia at the moment where religion's a dirty word, Yeah. Um, any faith is seen as backwards uh, and something that's outdated. Um, So that's always a hard thing to overcome. Mm. Uh, And and it's hard to stand out, I guess, in relation to the culture. So specifically about my work, um, the police has a very, very strong culture. I know a lot of other places uh, where you may work also have a very, very strong culture. Um, And normally it's a secular culture. And I think um, things I've been thinking about through Daniel is that Daniel's in a foreign kingdom, Mm. um, in this foreign place which is hostile to him, um, and yet he survives and God thrives him. Um, And uh, even though he is foreign and stands for something foreign, because of the integrity he has at the workplace and his hard work, um, normally the kings go to him and he's recommended. And so I guess the challenge for me is to... Look at Daniel and how he navigates this hostile environment. Uh, be someone of good character and integrity. Mm. Uh, be someone who works hard. So even though people who don't like the Christian message can see that you're setting a good
2: character. Yeah. And what do you what 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 difference does knowing Jesus make to the way you go about your work? Um,
3: massive difference. Massive. Um, a lot of times at work, um, I call them punctuation points in life, where something will happen mm. and um, it will cause you to stop and reflect and think about what does living really mean. And in my work, a lot of times I would show up to those events in people's lives and see them at the most vulnerable mm. in, in times of crisis and a lot of trauma. Um, And I guess in those times, it makes me think as well, what is life about? Mm. What does it really mean when you peer back um, everything and it's all stripped back? So I think God really talks into that space in relation to what life is about. Mm. Um, I think he
2: gives us purpose and meaning. Yeah, yeah. You recently had a guy ask you about... Yeah, who's going through a bit of a, yeah, sort of a, um, a tough COVID. Yeah, you know.
3: so I had a friend who uh, is going through a lot of medical uh, complications mm. and he outright openly asked me, what is life about? Mm. And I think Great question. Yeah, it is great. Um, and God causes those moments in our life where we, we have to do that. And I think the, the irony is um, a lot of people in our workplace think they know the Christian message and they think they know what God is about, mm. and that we're, we're traditionalists and backwards and things like that. But the notion of forgiveness, the notion of loving someone more than you love yourself yeah. and putting other people forward, the notion of justice, yeah. of what's right and wrong, um, are actually quite revolutionary and so applicable today. Yeah, so yeah. the diagnosis of us uh, is spot on by yeah, God. Yeah. And, um He makes clarity through the mess I see at work.
2: Thank you, brother. It's okay. Uh, Thank you, Shane. Please thank Josh. (laughs) So bullies can be scary. But bullies with power can be terrifying. These dodgy politicians in Daniel 6 come up with a novel idea. They go, go to the king, and they try and butter him up. Have a look with me in verse 6. They say, may, the king, da, may king Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, and the governors, have agreed. Now, Whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. You know, the person who comes to you and says, all of us would like more meetings. And you find out it's just them. You know, the, I don't know if they're doing that here, but they say, all of us have agreed. That the, to establish an ordinance and enforce an edict, that for 30 days anyone who petitions, so praise, any, to any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Now, this suggestion is very clever because it boosts Darius' ego. It's sort of a, it's establishing his new authority, confirming it. And so Daniel signs, but almost as soon as he signs, he regrets it. Now, and he tries to undo it. He tries to take back this law, but what's the problem? Why can't he do it? I mean, he's the king, right? Why can't he change the law? You'll notice there's a phrase that's mentioned three times. It goes like this. The law of the Medes and the Persians is irrevocable and cannot be changed. Again and again it says that. It cannot be changed. Why? Because a law is a law. You can't just ignore it one day, say, oh, we won't obey it this, you know, this day, maybe tomorrow. But no matter who you are, a law is a law, even if you were the one to establish it. I'll give you a modern example. Uh, you might know the case of Roe v. Wade uh, in the US, legalizing abortion. It happened in 1973. Uh, uh, Roe is Jane Roe, and there was a pseudonym uh, who was for legalizing ab- abortion. It was a pseudonym of her name to protect her identity, her name was Norma McCovey. Now Norma, 20 years after, became a Christian and she changed her views on abortion, on life in the womb. But as hard as she tried to reverse that law, she couldn't. She couldn't change the law even though her name was on it. Now law itself has no power. But That's why we need law enforcement. That's why we need people like Josh. We need the police. We need to pray for them. We need to respect them. We need to honor them because they do a tough job. And we need law enforcement. And so that's what these satraps, these dodgy police, that's their role. And so verse 12, they come to the king and they enforce the law. They say, well, didn't you, king, sign an edict that for 30 days, any man who prays petitions to any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown to the lions. Didn't you say that? And the king knows it. And so the law had to be carried out and Daniel is headed to his doom. Notice how Daniel responds. What, I mean, what would you do? This is the law. You can't pray to God. It is illegal. What would you do? Daniel, verse 10, does this. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his room and tweeted, What a day. Hashtag life sucks. No. What does he do? The windows in his upper room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he'd done before. See, Daniel must choose between two laws, God's law or human law, and without a moment's hesitation he goes for God's law. And there's a couple of things to notice in this. Notice that the law, and there's that phrase, just as he's done before. So the law's been set. It's not like, well, I'm going to stick it to the man. No one can tell me what to do. I'm going to start praying. He's not on the streets protesting, down with Darius, up with prayer. What does he do? He prays like he's always done. And he's praying three times a day. I mean, this man is basically running the country and yet he has time to pray three times a day. I mean, what's your excuse? What's mine? And notice he doesn't say, oh, well, it's just 30 days. I mean, it doesn't really matter if I don't pray. You know, I mean, God will forgive me. You no, know, he's not ashamed about his faith. See, when the government crosses the line in demanding to be worshipped, he says no. And so he does not close his windows, keeps them open. He gets down on his knees and notice he thanks God. I presume he's thanking God for the government, for his king. And he worships not the king, but the king of kings. Now you think about it, this law is not making Daniel do something. It's not like in Daniel 3 where Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had to bow down. It's not making him do something, but it's him not to do something. It's silencing him. I want to ask you a question. Put your hand up if in your workplace, in your family, you feel a pressure not to talk about your faith. A show of hands. Who feels a pressure not to talk about their faith? Okay, so a number of us. In our culture, mainly because of secularism, there's this squeeze to silence you for you not to talk about your faith, what you do on a Sunday, what you believe. You probably find it easier to talk to Muslim or Hindu colleagues than you do secular people. And then you'll a very similar silencing, that pressure to zip it. Can I give you three tips? First thing is, in an attempt to be authentic, share your experience because in our culture, experience trumps all. So if you share, look, I was going through a bad time, and you know what, for me, actually, uh, this Bible verse was helpful for me, or I was really anxious, and I actually, as a Christian, I, I pray, and I found this piece that share your experience, own it, and that carries a lot of weight in our secular culture. Second thing is, uh, ask people, particularly who are secular, Ask them what they believe and why they believe the things they believe. You know, about uh, justice or human equality or uh, what happens after you die. And you'll find, if you ask them questions, that they have a worldview that needs just as much faith as any Christian. And thirdly, if you've been in a workplace for a while and you haven't actually shared that you're a Christian, can I encourage you, say something like this you know what, I haven't been totally honest with you. I was afraid that you might judge me, but I'm a Christian. hope this doesn't change anything. Something like that. Take it as you will. So as Daniel is sentenced to what I saw, the ultimate silencing, death, and as he hangs on the edge of a pit of lions, we see what's about to happen. Um, a couple of years ago, I read a book, uh, History of the Zoos. It's quite an interesting book, really. And uh, you know fences in zoos? We think they're to keep the animals in. Oh, no, no, no. They're to keep the humans out. It's amazing how many people have tried to go into the animal enclosures in the zoos in this world. I'll give you one story. Uh, two teenage guys dared each other to put their leg into the pit of lions. And so one guy did it, he put it in, it was okay. The next mate, he put it in, and this lioness looked and ran and jumped and grabbed the hem of his jeans and pulled him in and mauled him to death. 250 people this year will be killed because of lions. Lions are not to be messed with, right? Right? And as Daniel is thrown into this pit of hungry lions, the king almost gives this, this wish. He says, may your God, whom you continue to serve, rescue you. And the stone is rolled over. And that is where the irony begins. Because as Daniel is thrown into this utter darkness with lions, <sighs> I mean, that's where he's at. It's Darius who's the one who can't sleep. He's up all night. And it's Darius who's the one's fasting, and ironically, so too are the lions, because God shut their mouth. And these satraps who try to trap Daniel, in the end, become part of their own trap. And they're fed to the lions, along with their family. And as the sun rises the next morning, the king bolts to this tomb. And with that question, will God rescue Daniel? And I imagine as they pull back the the, the rock, there's Daniel lying on a lion, using it as a pillow after a good night's sleep. But there's Daniel, and he is alive. He looks at the king and he says, verse 21, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. They haven't hurt me, for I was found innocent before him. Now, I presume most of you don't come face to face with lions in your day-to-day life. I think I can safely presume that. Uh, you might say, well, you should see my grandma, she's a bit fierce. But other than that, you know, we don't experience lions, generally speaking. And you might be thinking, well, what relevance really does this story have to my life? You know, I mean, it's, it's a pretty cool story, maybe good for children, but what does it have to do with me? You might be able to connect with the fact that the bullies or, you know, finding it hard to talk about your faith in a secular society, but Lions? In that book uh, on the history of zoos, uh, there was a thing called the Daniel syndrome. Now, the Daniel syndrome is where generally mentally unwell people think they are the new Daniel of their era and go into lion's cages. And it's costly and it is damaging for them. But there's another type of Daniel syndrome, one that's more acceptable. As we read Daniel, we see who he is, and we think, I can be exactly like him. I can be him. We see him as an inspiration for how to do life. You know, the way he he manages loving neighbours and sticking to truth. The fact that he's always praying, the fact that he's facing death threats, bullies, lines, and yet he's still calm, he's confident, and he's convicted as ever. And he does it perfectly, as we've seen in the last couple of chapters. And if you try and be like Daniel, first and foremost, it'll be just as costly and damaging for you. I'll tell you what I mean. Uh, superheroes are all the rage now, aren't they? Particularly superhero movies. Uh, Marvel is pumping out 24 films. Uh, and what I love about superheroes is they can do things that we can't do, right? Uh, Comedian Jerry Seinfeld says, when most men look at superheroes, they don't see fantasies, they see options, right? Batman, Spider-Man, you know. And uh, if you try and be like Superman, right, you dress up, you got the cape, you can do it. You know, you can get the voice, you can get the hair, that kind of thing. But you try and fly. You try and lift up a building, and you're going to look like an idiot, Right? Because superheroes are there for one reason, well, primarily for one reason, to rescue, to save you, to do what you could not do. Daniel is primarily there for his people to be a hero, to do what they, God's people, could not do. And we have a hero, Jesus Christ, who came to do what we could not do. What I find remarkable is the similarities between their hero, Daniel, and our hero, Jesus Christ. Here are some of them. Both of them were framed by the leaders of their day. Both of them were innocent and no one could find any fault. Both of them were arrested while praying. Both had the king of his day try to work for their release. Both were sentenced to be executed. Both had a stone rolled over their tomb, and both emerged from the place of the dead. But there's one difference. God shut the mouths of the lions for Daniel, but he didn't do the same for his son. Daniel walks out of that tomb without a scratch, but Jesus dies. Why the difference? Why spare one but not the other? Jesus died because there are scarier things in this world than just lions. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says this: Your, me and you, your adversary, your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he. devour Now you might be thinking straight away, I can't believe you believe in Satan, it's the 21st century, but bear with me for a moment, right? The devil's power is not in horns or pitchforks, but it is in words. And his words remind you that you are a failure, that you are a sinner, and he's going to tempt you to sin more and more and more and more, and that you don't need Jesus at the end of the day. That's how he devours you now every Aussie admits one thing we're not perfect we're not perfect whether it's God's law or human law we've made mistakes we haven't done exactly what we should have done the devil uses our very own admission against us and he laughs and he says you are not innocent you are not blameless that there is no chance. And you know what? He's right. Because like Darius set a law that was irrevocable and cannot be changed, God has sent a law, uh, set a law which cannot be changed. That's the standard for you to be in a relationship with God, the standard for you to get to heaven is you need to be perfect. And even though God set the law, it cannot be changed. the devil is prowling ready to pounce because none of us make the cut none of us can say what Daniel says I'm truly innocent but the good news is this that God has sent us a hero God has sent us someone who will obey the law keep it and yet will forgive us. In Colossians 2, these beautiful words where it says, Jesus erases our sin that was against us. How? By nailing it to the cross. And so he disarmed the power of the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. What that saying is there is that Jesus takes our sin and he nails it to the cross. He deals with it. And so then he can shut the, power, the, the mouth of Satan once and for all. Uh, a family friend of ours, George, uh, when he was growing up, uh, he stole uh, a couple of things and they got a criminal record. Police caught him. And uh, at the time, not anymore, but when you turned 18, your criminal record was wiped clean, got a new start. And so when George was pulled over by the cops at about eighteen, nineteen, the cop asked him, looked him in the eye and said, George, do you have a criminal record? And George looked back and said, no. And the police checked and it was spot on. If you are a Christian or if you were to become a Christian, your greatest fear in life, sin and Satan, has gone because Jesus has removed your sinful record once and for all. So that Satan cannot accuse you. Another story. Uh, there's a family driving up a highway. And one as they go on holidays, and one of the boys, the youngest boy, is highly allergic to bees, life-threatening. And a bee manages to get in the car, and the boy is freaking out Dad, Dad, there's a bee, there's a bee. And the dad grabs the bee with one hand. And then let's go. And the boy's freaking out, Dad, Dad, the bee's still there, the bee's still there. But the dad holds up his hand, beginning to swell and grow red. And say, the bee is there, but he cannot hurt you, because I've taken its sting. The devil is still prowling around. He's still here, but if you're a Christian... Then Jesus has taken the sting, taken the power, taken any possible means of him doing you any damage once and for all. He is like, thanks be to Jesus, a toothless lion. That he cannot harm you. Thanks be to Jesus. And that, the friends, that with the fact that we have a hero like that, who would do something as amazing for us as that that then does inspire us, does motivate us to be brave in the face of bullies. To to speak, to be daring enough to speak when the pressure is to remain silent. To be courageous in the chaos. There are far more scary things in this world than lions. But the only way that we can say what Daniel said honestly, that they cannot hurt me, they will not hurt me. They have not hurt me. That I am innocent before them. The only way we could say that is because of our hero, Jesus Christ. Let me pray using the words of King Darius. Please join with me as we pray. You, O oh Lord, are the living God who endures forever. Your kingdom will never be destroyed and your dominion has no end. You are the God who rescues and delivers. You perform signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. For you rescued Daniel from the power of the lions, and you, God, rescued us from the power of sin and Satan. Thanks be to you. Amen.